1: Irreverent, over the top, and smart as a whip. this is The Rob Black Show. thought
2: we may take a little bit of a different turn today. Thanks for listening to this show. We're going to be answering a couple emails and just going through some thoughts and talking markets and hitting on the things that we need to hit upon when we're just maintaining the markets. We're maintaining our portfolio. We're trying to head towards retirement, not necessarily trying to pick the winning stock of the day. Joining me today to talk about this and much, much more is regional director of EP Wealth. You can find him online at chadburton.com. It's chadburton.com. CFP, Chad Burton. How are you, Mr. Burton?
3: Doing well. How about yourself?
2: Doing well. Doing well. Doing well. It's a nice time of the year. So you dropped me a couple of emails that we're going to run through, and let's see where this goes, but... um. Hi, Chad. I'd love to learn more about gifting our kids and what that means. Gifting our kids. and I hope they're not going to gift their kids away. I'd love to learn more (laughs) about gifting our kids, what that means. For example, I understand you can more than the 15,000 limit, but I would need to file a form with my taxes to report it, but no tax would be due. This is getting a little complicated. What are we looking at here?
3: Yeah, so... This is how gifting works. And there's this term called gift tax return. And and a lot of people say, oh gosh, if if I file a gift tax return, I'm going to pay taxes. But it it actually doesn't mean that. So when people's estate gets larger, and really now that's... To go back when I got a business almost 29 years ago, Rob, if if somebody passed away and died with more than $650,000, the government would start taking money from them. Yep. It's called an, it's called an estate tax yeah. and it's really quite silly, right? I mean, why? <laughs> so, you but it's, it, it's silly because
2: it's kind of like double taxation.
3: Absolutely. You get taxed
2: yeah. on the income when you're alive, you get taxed on the assets when you're dead. And yeah. you was, kind of revolted against a King a couple hundred years ago because of that.
3: Yeah. And it's one of those things that then was kind of instated, I think, to fund one of the very first wars we ever had and, and just never really went away. So the the amount that we could pass on to our heirs was increased by double in the 2017 Tax Act, and so now essentially, it, you know, you can pass on over 11 million dollars to your heirs per person. So a married couple is well over 22 million now. So a lot of people don't have an estate tax issue. But we all realize that this is probably either going to drop or go away at some point. And, and in, as it sits now in 2026, it's going to drop down to $5 million. So people that are single worth more than $5 million, and that's going to still grow, or they're married finally jointly and worth more than 10, they're often looking at ways to gift out of their estate so that if it's left in their estate when they pass away, they don't get hit with a 40% plus tax by the government. And what you can do is while you're alive, you can give $16,000, that's the new limit, to any one person that's out there. So if you have a child, you could give $16,000 to the child and your spouse can give $16,000 to the child. So you can get $32,000 out of your estate by gifting it. If you gift more than that to a single person, you have to file a gift tax return. But it doesn't mean that there's any taxes to It, it just basically keeps a ledger with the IRS that says, Okay, I went over $16,000. So the first $16,000 does nothing, but anything over that is going to reduce the amount that I can pass away, that I can leave when I finally pass away. So, unless you're going to give well over, um, at this point, well over $11 million away while you're alive to a person, there's not going to be a a gift tax return due. So, it's very confusing, but it's something that you do have to track. And you don't have to file a gift tax return when you give to charity or anything like that. It's
2: just to an individual. Well, let's do, let's use a real life example, Chad, myself earlier this year, uh, me and my spouse decided to gift some shares of Apple. When Apple had a big correction to our children, the idea there is that when Apple recovers, if Apple recovers, not only we give a, we, we got rid of high cost stock or low cost stocks basis. Pass it on to them. They get the reset value, but they also get a rebound in the markets. They also get income from it. Should I be worried about the income in any way, shape, or form with the IRS?
3: Uh, It's just going to be taxed. You're going to pay the taxes on it until the kids are older in life. There's a thing called a kitty tax. Um, Is it really
2: called a kitty tax?
3: um, Yeah. Yeah. It's called a kitty tax. So it's really, it's, they make made it tougher to gift assets away to your children and then, oh, hey, my kids don't make an income, so it's going to be much lower bracket. Well, they figured that all out. So there's a thing called a kiddie tax. And it depends on how you gifted it too, right, Rob? You can gift it in the form of a UTMA, Uniform Transfer to Minor Account, yes. which depending on state and where you are, the kids are going to get full control of that money. Somewhere between 18 and some states you can get to 25. Where you are in control of that, still, even though you gifted it away, you are in control of it. And then, but man, if their kid turns eighteen and they're you know into drugs and things like that, that money's theirs. So a lot of people are nervous about UTMA's or UTMA accounts. Another common it. one for for people that have a really large estate is you set up a GST, a Generation Skipping Trust, where okay. you can gift large amounts and kind of retain some control, but it's still outside of your estate. So you can get really complex on that type of gifting.
2: Yeah, how long? It's part of the estate plan. How much would you say per client? What are you doing? Twenty percent of your time on estate planning, or is it you know ten percent? Is it more of an afterthought? Is it a once a year maintenance checkup? What is the your idea there and how you approach that?
3: It, it definitely ebbs and flows. So, for example. Okay. Um, Last year, uh, when it looked like there was going to be a huge change in the estate tax situation where Biden was trying to you know, cut everything in half, um, there was a big rush to make changes in gifts and things like that and set everything up to get ready for a change and then it just all went away. Um, you're always looking at any tax law changes and see how does that affect your existing trust and or will. Um but every two years you should be doing full review of your estate plan. And and a lot of times, like just the other day, we did a full review of a a client's living trust. And it was, you know, it was like seven, eight years old, but it had proper, flexible language in it. And so they still needed to update their power of attorney and healthcare directive. Your power of attorney, if you're become incapacitated and you know, you can't deal with your own retirement accounts and things like that, your spouse can step in and take care of that for you. And those documents need to be pretty fresh.
2: So doing those types of refreshes every couple
3: of years is very important.
2: It's interesting that they need to be refreshed. And I love the way you said that because there's also a way of approaching trusts and estate planning in my mind where you put off until you think you're with your last spouse. A lot of Americans get married once, twice, sometimes three times. Have you run into a little bit of like people want to wait till they're 50, 55, kind of like tighten the the uh, time frame a little bit because they're not settled. They don't want to see themselves die. They might get remarried again. They might uh, get a new spouse. And Doing three trusts for three spouses would be kind of crazy, right?
3: Well, you have in, in a situation like that, you're typically doing your own trust and you have separate property. Or you can still do a joint living trust with your new spouse, but still always maintain your separate property so that it's not going to be commingled, funded mm-hmm. with asset, funded with income you're earning while you're married. And you just make sure you keep that separate. One minute. Um, so, I mean, yeah, you've, you've got to be aware of of those issues when it comes to multifamily planning. Yeah. And, situations where hey I want to protect this money I'll, I'll, I'll let you live off of it while you're alive but it's going to my kids from you know and and not your kids kind of a thing
2: <laughs> we're seeing more of that aren't we
3: oh yeah yeah especially with you know gray divorce which is divorce over the age of 65 jumped drastically in the last few years
2: That's CFP Chad Burton. He's going to stick with me for a while, answer some email questions. If you want to get an email question to him, find him online at chadburton.com. That's chadburton.com. He's a regional director for EP Wealth. He's a certified financial planner. He's someone I've worked with for 20 plus years. Great financial planning. Find him online at ChadBurton.com. His podcast is available through Apple and iTunes as well.
1: A straightforward approach to managing your money. The Rob Black Show.
2: So CFP Chad Burton's joining me this morning to answer some email questions and some personal questions for myself when I try to bring up the questions that I think you might have. He and I just went through a, a talk about estate planning and gifting for your children. It's not the easiest concept. It seems easy. Give a gift to your kid but then you also have to start approaching it like when do you do this how old do you do this is this the right way to do this should i be going through more of a trust to do this versus a gift to do this um what is a you know uh an, an account actually even mean to the child so there's a lot of questions that you really have to ask we're not taught these things in high school here to answer more of your questions is regional director and cfp chad burton of ep wealth he and i have worked together for 20 plus years and we've continued on with ep wealth hopefully soon we'll be launching some webinars and seminars again and getting back into that old way of chatting with you more one-on-one. Chad, I saw another email come through and this was someone who wanted to take advantage of Proposition 19 to buy a new home, but Mm. we really don't want a long-term mortgage. Problem is we don't have access to a large amount of cash to close an all-cash offer. Very common in in the, the real estate market right now to try to sweeten your deal to make it all cash to make it easier on the sellers he says we have three and a half million dollar portfolio but huge gains in taxes if we sell it's also a horrible time to sell with the market's recent correction what should he do Chad
3: well that's a lot of good things wrapped up in this question and, and actually pretty common yeah so first of all prop 19 there's some good and bad I mean the first of all the bad part about it is if you own a home, right now you're an older person, you own a home, and you have extremely low property taxes because of Prop 13. Now, when you pass away and your kids inherit that house, they're going to get an increase of property taxes to the normal level. So that's the change in Prop 19 that's bad. Um, So I think you'll probably see a lot of homes of older people that rather than kids keeping it and using it as a rental property, they're going to get sold. Right, because so, it's just tough to make that income fly when you're paying a huge amount of property taxes in the Bay Area.
2: You're talking to a lot of people in the Bay Area right now. I could think mm-hmm. of one woman who is 42 or 43, living with her parents, waiting for them to die so she could take over the house, and she'll get a step up in property tax basis.
3: Well, so okay, there's some specifics there, um, around that type of a situation. I believe still in 2019. Okay. Um, so, you know, that's something to look into, but the, the, there was a big gifting of homes prior to February of last year Yeah. to, because that's when the law totally changed. Um, so when it comes to that, you really got to work with your state planning attorney to make sure that that type of a situation is dealt with properly when you're kind of a living caregiver. Um, I believe I've, I've got to go back and look, Rob, honestly, to see if that's the case. I'll do it during the break, but the, the good thing about prop 19 now is that you can sell your current home. Even if you want to downsize or upsize, you can sell your current home and move anywhere in California and maintain your property tax base. Okay. Right? So in most cases, people are selling their home and downsizing and they want to make sure that they what they downsize to, they're going to maintain the same amount of property taxes. But let's say you're selling a $2 million home and buying a $3 million home and you're over 62. When you do this, you're on your new three million dollar home, you're gonna maintain the property tax base of the first two million, but pay normal property taxes on the next million, if that makes sense.
2: It does. Yeah.
3: So a lot of people are. It's also like
2: that's beyond my math. That might be (laughs) trigonometry, the first real use of trigonometry ever in the history of of algebra and math. That's intimidating. (laughs)
1: Try to tell that to
2: a sixty six year old who's starting to lose their mind. (laughs)
3: <laughs> yeah, that's that's there's so much. I mean, when people retire, just how do you shop for a Medicare supplement plan, Rob? I mean, there's so much stuff, it, tax planning, retirement. It's retirement planning is so complicated. Uh, I don't think people get it. Um, when you're this age and you get market corrections, you're like, just let's buy, buy, buy. Um, like you said, instead of gifting to your kids, maybe you can sell your kids and have more money to buy stocks, right?
2: <laughs> but okay, don't use my own words against me.
3: Yeah, yeah. The, um, but going back to the situation so what we're seeing is this is a constant problem. Like, okay, I want to sell this house and I have all this cash and from this house that I want to use to buy my next one and
1: okay. take
3: advantage of this prop 19, but it's a pain in the butt to get a mortgage these days. Mortgage rates have jumped. I don't want a mortgage because based on the new tax law, I'm not even itemizing my deductions. So I'm, I'm not even getting a tax benefit from a mortgage. A lot of people are in that situation now in retirement. Um, So what is a short-term option that's a little easier to deal with? And a person like this has a $3.5 million portfolio. Their issue is that, okay, if I access that money, the market's down. It's a terrible time to sell, but the the gains are still huge. So they might lose 23.8 Fed and and 13.3% state of their gains. So there is a thing called collateralized loans that you can do against your securities. This is different from a margin loan that can get called on a market dip. There's a collateralized loan where three and a half million dollars, um, you know, you might get a loan at and it's the rate is so far SOFR um plus, you know, typically two or three percent. And so you can do these interest-only loans that are only a short-term period of time, and you're basically, you know, getting money out of your portfolio without selling. Knowing that you're going to close on this deal, um, you're going to move into the house, you're going to be able to sell your other one and then pay off that loan. And so that's a for people that have large portfolios like that. That's very common. I have a lot of clients, for example, that like to do real estate transactions. In the last many years, most of the time they're having to do all cash offers and close. And then they'll, within 90 days, refinance that property, get a traditional mortgage, and then pay back that collateralized loan. So very common in the wealth management industry. Um, So you can get really good rates with companies like TD Ameritrade, Schwab.
2: As a wealth manager, you say that's very common, but to me, that sounds very stressful. The whole mortgage loan process is never easy. Setting up your portfolio to help in that process, seems like it's a little more complicated. Is that something you walk someone through? If I were to get my CFP, Brad, who works with you on your team, if I were to say, hey, Brad, I want to do that exact thing. Do it. If I point my finger at them and say, "Do it," just do me whatever you need to do. Just do it. Is that something CFPS do? They 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 kind of walk you through it at all?
3: Yeah, well, it's something that our operations team does. So, you know, our Kathleen's do that. That once Brad identifies the solution, mm-hmm. um, and says, "Okay, this is probably a good idea." Presents it, and then essentially we turn it over to Kathleen, for example, and she creates all the paperwork, uh, the connection for the company that does the collateralized loans. It only takes about two or three weeks to get done okay. and ready to go. Um, and once it's set up, it's set up forever. And it's like a revolving line of credit. You, Once you sell that one house and pay it back, it's it's just sitting there. And if you ever need to do it again, you can. Um, Segment's so almost over, Chad.
2: Happen. Segment's almost over. I have a question. Inside that question, that email I just read, he says, problem is we don't have access to a large amount of cash due to a, a close an all-cash offer. Is that common as well, or how do you? And we've got less than a minute. Maybe we carry it over to the next segment. People who are retired, and even me, a lot of my assets are tied up in retirement assets. So even though I feel wealthy right now, I don't have it until I retire. I have to wait to like tap into that asset. Do people have problems with um, cash flow, even though they're wealthy, even though they have stocks? You see cash flow issues.
3: 30 only if, only if everything's stuck in retirement accounts. So you got to have tax diversification going into retirement.
2: Good stuff. Let's carry on the conversation. It's CFP Chad Burton. He is a regional director and certified financial planner for EP Wealth. He has a team of financial planners. He would love to get in contact with you. You can find him online at chadburton.com. It's chadburton.com. He's got a podcast, New Focus on Wealth on Apple and Google. You can find it under New Focus on Wealth with Chad Burton.
1: Brought to you by EP Wealth. This is the Rob Black Show.
2: Stock movements, We're talking about investing in insurance and retirement goals. Today, we're talking with CFP, Chad Burton. He's with EP Wealth. I'm with EP Wealth. He and I used to own a company and run it together. And we have kind of not gone separate ways, but we've gone to the new company. And we don't see as much of each other anymore. Chad, it's kind of miss you. You can find him. He's a regional director and he's a CFP. You can find him at chadburton.com. Importantly, he's got a great podcast that he does once a week at least. You can find that at Apple. Or Google's iTunes store, their Play Store. It's under CFP, uh, Chad Burton. New Focus on Wealth with Chad Burton in, in iTunes. You can find it. You can also just lock, latch onto it from his website. Chad, another email that came through, and this is pretty interesting. I always like people to try to maintain their finances and maintain their questions with you and maintain the relationship with the financial planner. This one's interesting. Is there any way to take the existing house and transfer to a vacation home? So a little financial engineering, someone's been living in a home for maybe 10, 15, 20 years. And now they're starting to head towards retirement and they want to maybe reclassify, maybe buy another house. What are we looking at here?
3: Yeah. It's kind of the whole downsize thing, right? It's yep. it's uh, it's that situation where the, they they've got this house, a ton of equity, how do they do a cash offer and get the next home that they're gonna claim as their primary residence and transfer the property tax base to? And then um, they want to get rid of their existing house and buy a vacation home, but they bought this home years and years ago. And so they when you if you're married finally jointly and you've lived in a home for two out of the last five years, you can exclude the first five hundred thousand a gain, but over that you're gonna pay typically twenty three point eight Fed and thirteen point three state if it's you know over a million dollar gain. That's, that's a lot. So how do you avoid that? Well, it's always a little bit of give and take because as soon as you are out of that house for more than a couple, you know, the, the two years, then you start to lose that $500,000 exclusion. Yep. But at the same time in California, Washington, community property States, when the first spouse dies, that gain goes away. All of those gains go away and the, the survivor gets a step up in basis. And also when you pass away, your kids get a step up in basis so but it's something to consider what i've helped people do though is okay you sell your existing house you transfer over you know downsize um and then you have a multi-year plan to deal with the existing house that you're in if you don't want to sell and pay taxes on it first you have to turn it into a rental property rent it out for at least a full calendar year and then once it's a rental property. You can then do a ten thirty one exchange because you can only do a ten thirty one exchange, tax free exchange from one piece of real estate to another, if it's a rental property or used in you know or using trader business. So, um, rent it out for a full calendar year, and then say, okay, you know what? I want a vacation home in you know Florida or Arizona, or whatever. Um, once it's been a rental property, you can then 1031 exchange it into another rental property that you run out in that location for, you know, over a year. And eventually once the lease expires, you boot the renters out, do your remodel, and then just start to claim it as your vacation home again. So, you know, that's basically a three calendar year kind of a process though. You got to, you got to be patient. Um, but it is an option out there.
2: Here's a question for you. You just kind of jarred some memories into my head. When I first came to the Bay Area 25 years ago, there was a lot of focus on real estate and kind of the average person was being encouraged to become a professional real estate manager or to accumulate rentals or to move their current home into a 1031. It seemed like a little bit of a side business show where there was a lot of lawyers that were making money. There was a lot of financial planners that were making money. There was a lot of um, real estate advisors making money, uh, the lenders making money, but it seemed like an industry where the average person could think I'm going to be Donald Trump. I'm going to have a real estate empire. And it seemed just very costly. Um, did I miss out because I was leery of the the cost and fees in the world of 1031s?
3: Uh, yeah, I think 1031 is, itself is a pretty normal situation. I mean, the first thing you have to realize if you're going to elect a 1031 exchange, you have to do a prior to sell because everybody knows has to know the both sides of the the sale the seller and the buyer. Um, everybody needs to know it's a ten thirty one exchange because what happens is is once that house closes the money goes to an exchange agent and sits there until you buy that other property and it's a hundred and eighty day period. There's a certain amount of time where you have to identify up to three properties that you're going to buy. So no, I don't think that 1031 exchange issue is a, a costly one. I think the the costly situation is when we get towards the top of a real estate market, usually three years away, and everybody starts getting into flipping properties and, and, you know, gets sucked into the FOMO, the fear of missing out, whether it's stocks or bonds. Um, and then you start seeing all these seminars that people pay for and the use other people's money and take money out of your 401k to start flipping houses. That's the costly stuff that, You really have to avoid i've done full shows on how if you compare investing in stocks and reinvesting those dividends versus real estate that you you buy for cash the stocks will crush it every single time especially every time that you have to do a new roof or maintenance or anything else you invest the same amount of money into that stock portfolio stocks will crush it every single time the only way that real estate can keep up with or exceed the stock market is due to leverage. And that means more risk. It means that you could have horrible rentals, renters that destroy your house, cause a bunch of damage. And then you have six months of uh, vacancy to fix it. Yet you're still paying the mortgage on that rental property. You see what I mean? So there's people that get into rental properties and have horrible luck with renters and they're just done. They're never going to do it again. Um, and then there's people that, you know, have great luck and, and uh, do, do really well with it.
2: Because you and I both do media shows and podcasts, and they can find yours, New Focus on Wealth with CFP, Chad Burton, under iTunes or in the Google Play Store. Um, We probably walk a lot of circles. Do do you get an email from a guy, and I'm just checking right now, this is on air, where he basically emails you like once a month and says, I'm thinking about putting money into rental real estate in Texas or maybe uh, Pacific Northwest. And sometimes he will change one out and maybe it'll be with Pacific Southwest. but he has a big chunk of change and he wants a rental property at the top of the market, even though the stock market, the bond market, all the other asset markets are struggling. He still wants to put new money into a rental. And I got to the point where I had to go, you're just, you're asking me the same question. What would I do? I'm more geared towards stocks. I've got a lot of money. I'm more interested in buying on a dip there than in real estate. A, do you recognize the, the scenario? And B, um, what would you do right now if you had a big chunk of change?
3: I do, I mean, there's, yeah, you get a couple of ones that are always just like trying to ask specific questions, specific advice, and we cannot give specific advice by email. We can just kind of give general thoughts. And usually I don't even respond to the email. I'll just say, hey, I'm going to hit this on, you know, this podcast right. or whatever. Um, I mean, look, the, I'm always shopping for, real estate right i don't care what market it is you might find a good deal and the first thing that i do to analyze this deal is i say okay if if i if i was to buy this piece of real estate outright and net of my property taxes um and and and, you know set aside for maintenance and insurance could i get six percent income on it i'm not interested if i can't there's there's no point in it
2: well let me ask Um, you a question on that one What if you would get that rental? Let's say you find it and you get to 6%, but uh-huh. you're really not accounting for maybe – we haven't seen big job losses in the recent stock market, in the recent uh, economic cycle. What if right. you do get that rental in San Antonio? It is sick cash flow positive. It's probably not right now after the big run-up in the last 10 years. But what if – how do you account for like potentially get, stepping in way over your head and walking into a recession where jobs are lost and renters don't pay rent?
3: See, th- this is why before you get into rental properties, you have to have your foundation built. Okay. First of all, there's nothing that's going to be your 401k and Roth IRA. So you should be maxing out your 401k, your Roth IRA prior to this. Yes. Um, and then you need to have your emergency reserves, your cash, You know, anywhere from six to 24 months expenses, depending on what type of job you have. Big and kid. then you typically have at least one year's worth of income saved up in a normal non-retirement brokerage account, whether that's you know directly with Vanguard, uh, ETFs and funds in Schwab or Fidelity or, or whatever it may be, something that you can access in case you lose a renter or, or have damage. Because that's what we saw in 2005 and six. We started seeing these people that are accumulating seven, eight, nine, 10 rental properties with zero net worth. And as soon as they lost one of those during the recession of 2008 and nine, it was a financial house of cards. They, they, they skipped a payment on one home. Yep. They lost that one. Their credit got ruined. Their loans came due or, or shifted to a higher rate loan and they couldn't refinance and they lost renters and they just lost all their properties and had to file bankruptcy. So you, you can do real estate, but you just have to be careful and be financially prepared to deal with those bad renters, those occasional nightmares that you have. But that's the next step, you know. First, my first step is always pretending that I would buy it for all cash, which I typically wouldn't. I would typically leverage it, okay, you know, at least fifty percent, and um, you know, if not more, uh, up to typically eighty percent. And then once once you go that, okay, okay, what is the industry like? What was the dependability of renter? What's the quality of renters? I do not like low income style of, style of renter situation. I'd rather go more higher end and have a little bit less income.
2: Chad Burton hates Properties poor people. i did
3: not say that Don't put those words in my mouth i grew up poor so
2: (laughs) no i I just think it's fair to say it's uh even if you have a high-end home renting it out to people is it's a psychological stress yeah we got less than a minute how do we wrap this one up
3: oh boy how do we wrap it up um i mean we've got a lot of stuff going on here when it comes to to real estate and stocks and I guess all of it is accumulate assets. I mean interest rates are going you know have gone up, but there's still always going to be good deals in real estate. And these corrections make really good deals in stocks for those that have that patience of 3 years that you typically That'll, get not only really, really rethink, phenomenal returns
2: 3 not years not only later. really good deals but stocks that you wanted to own are on sale when a couple months ago people were buying them at premium prices. You can find CFP Chad Burton at chadburton.com. It's chadburton.com.
1: The Rob Black Show is brought to you by EP Wealth. Learn more about EP's unique approach to managing wealth at robblackshow.com.
0: A personal financial plan with custom investment advice. That's why Rob Black has partnered with EP Wealth Advisors. With over $12 billion in assets under management and more than 80 financial professionals at the helm, BP services were built with you in mind. How can they help you? Find out at robblackshow.com, robblackshow.com.
2: CFP Chad Burton has joined me this morning to answer some email questions. He's got a great website, solid website, with a lot of his financial media similar to mine. You can find it at chadburton.com. That's his name, chadburton.com. He works with EP Wealth. He's a regional director as well as a certified financial planner he and i started a business roughly 25 years ago when we saw some common interests in how we approached clients and what we wanted to do for them the industry as it evolves it gets more and more services oriented Um, cfp chad burton and his team has a lot of financial services that they can offer you can find him online at chadburton.com that's chadburton.com and lord knows with everything we've learned with zoom in the past few years it's pretty easy to get in touch with the financial planner and do uh some instant planning via Zoom. You can find him at Chadburton.com. His show is on Wednesdays at six in the morning, but I oftentimes do his show. Sometimes he does my show like he did this morning. You can find his podcast. It'll be posted later today at any of the podcast channels, either Apple and or. Chad, we've been talking a little bit about 1031s and a little bit of real estate and how we approach the stock market when things are down or do we wait for a real estate market to go down? What are some final thoughts that you want to bring in on stocks and real estate in times of corrections?
3: Well, I mean, first of all, when it comes to stocks, especially always be shopping and look for the stuff that sells off farther than it should. Okay, Um, You know, there's still some, right now you really have to pay attention to what's going to be talked about when it comes to earning season, right? I mean, we're going to have, this is going to be an interesting one and probably one of the first tough ones where they're going to talk about wage inflation, overall inflation of input costs and how much they're being able to pass on to the consumers and, and then this term called demand destruction. So while PE ratios of the S P 500 have come down, it could come down a little bit farther. You know, we typically see a 14 to 16 P ratio during a, a a decent recession, but the S and P 500 is a little different now. It's very tech heavy weighted, and so you got to break it down and look at what's the P ratio right now of general small cap value stocks, mid cap value, small cap growth, and and realize that a lot of stuff is already trading like we're going to have a pretty decent sized recession. And recessions are normal. You know, every five five point eight to seven years or so, we should have one to shake out the access. and those are really good buying opportunities with Typically, pretty good size returns three years later if you start buying once the market corrects twenty percent, which is where we're sitting now. So it could get worse. It's still a great time to buy. Do opposite of what your your fear index tells you. Um, you know, and I think the same thing could be said for real estate. You just got to be careful, more careful shopping for investment income property because mortgages are, you know the rates that you get are higher. Um, so always be looking to add asset classes. Um,
2: it's funny always be shopping. It's kind of like that Warren Buffett thing. I said this on the air the other day, and I don't know. You could you could be offended by this. I said probably the best time to buy real estate is when you're watching your local TV news station, and there's commercials for lawyers. Are are you upside down? Did you miss mortgage payments? Are you being evicted? Typically, the best time to <clears throat> again, that's just really generic and very random of me to say, but you kind of want some buy when. Get greedy when others are fearful, be fearful when others are greedy. And I, I think you can find some of these anecdotal stories on the sidelines if you look for them. Thoughts on yeah, that? We're gonna,
3: yeah, we're going to see this Is there's, there's a bubble in car loans. That's where one bubble is. Okay. The stuff that I hear about in terms of people financing cars from my a friend of mine that runs one of the CarMaxes around here. It's, an, it's unbelievable what people were paying for cars and then what they were doing on loans. Um, so what's, I think What's an what example of
2: unbelievable?
3: Oh, like you know, buying a used Chrysler 300 with, at 28% interest rate.
2: Okay. I mean, that's, you, that's you know, you're
3: never, ever, ever going to get that thing paid off. You're going to be so upside down in that. And so we're going to see a flood of boats, RVs, cars, ATVs, like Can-Ams and things like that. Uh, if we do go into a pretty distant recession, you're going to be able to get those things for like you know 60 cents on the dollar. Because pe- they were overbought during you know, this PPP loan phase where everybody was buying cars, boats, RVs, and toys and things like that. So I think that's, there's going to be some buying opportunities in those things. That's for sure.
2: Which is interesting because my spouse really wants to get an RV when we retire and tour the country. That's romantic to her. And I'm like, it nah, sounds like a lot of driving to me. Yep. So we're not exactly jellied on that, but you think I may be having a buying opportunity sooner rather than later in RVs. Okay.
3: I do, I do. You're you're fighting demographics a little bit on that one. From all the people that are retiring, and kind of want to do the same thing. But okay. I think that these high, high prices. I mean, just look at the boat market. Anybody that doesn't any, need you know skiing, wake surfing, wakeboarding, it's it's ridiculous. It's unsustainable, in my opinion.
2: Are you saying that there's really nice boats out there, and that you're like looking around, and you're like, you didn't really earn that, or uh, you're just oh, thinking people sure. are charging credit?
3: Yeah, because people were you know taking boat loans at four percent, now they're closer to six. Seven percent, and everybody wanted it because they were bored during COVID. And so, the lake that I live on—the number of new boats and jet skis—is just—it's not fathomable.
2: (laughs) It's just like
3: too much has gone on there, and I think people are way over their head. And you're starting to see that um, with credit numbers. It's
2: interesting that that's very antidotal because your lake is clearly in your part of the country. Here's a weird antidotal for you: I went to um, Vegas last weekend, took my kids to a music show. And it was empty and I didn't see a lot of gambling. I didn't hear a lot of party. And the restaurants were easy to get into. But yet when you hear CNBC, Vegas is back. Record number of people are going to Vegas. I don't know where they were, Chad. Um, How important do you think anecdotal evidence is and keeping your eyes open? Like Peter Lynch used to say, you know, go to the mall and you'll see what to invest in. Um, Are you anecdotal or are you more quant kind of guy?
3: definitely both but like so right now it's tough for me to see unfortunately the, the all these ppp loans and this inflation is really hurting the lower and middle class that live paycheck to paycheck and are really struggling to put gas in their car right now whereas middle class and upper class aren't so it's tough to see a a real deep recession as strong as this labor market is just by okay. going out and doing things so that's part of it but you're starting to see some demand destruction for sure
2: Let me give it a big pimp to you. Uh, You can find CFP Chad Burton. He's a regional director with EP Wealth. You can find him at epwealth.com. If you need a financial plan, he's your guy. He's a regional director. He's got many certified financial planners working under him. You can hear his show here, 6 a.m. on Wednesdays. But really, the podcast is the best way to find him at chadburton.com or New Focus on Wealth with Chad Burton. 10 seconds, Chad. Any last thoughts?
3: Uh, No, just check out chadburton.com. A lot of good downloadables there, too.
2: Good thing to do over the long weekend. Take care Chad. Thanks for being with me. I'm Rob Black.
1: The Rob Black Show is brought to you by EP Wealth. Learn more about EP's unique approach to managing wealth at robblackshow.com.
2: What's black and white and red all over? Do you remember going back to your childhood? Well, all I can tell you is that the first half this year was red all over on Wall Street. For six months or over, we've broken into July like a baby screaming what just happened the last six months were brutal the worst on wall street since the early 60s is that indicative of what we're seeing in the world we're seeing a war in ukraine where real women and children are getting destroyed in the consequences of war wow i think we could all start the beginning of the year and go yeah that that's probably not going to last more than a weekend or two weekends or whatever we were all wrong in our thoughts that's pushed up the price of oil it's pushed up the price of food and grains around the world people are going to starve because what's going on in russia and ukraine so does the first half kind of say yeah you're coming out of a pandemic You've got a lot of pent-up demand. You've got a lot of money saved. You've got a lot of PP loans that that enriched people during the downturn in American history known as COVID-19. So you get this robust rebound, and then you get eh, – China doesn't play the same way the United States does, and they want zero cases. So when there's one case, the whole factory shuts down for two weeks. I don't know if that's exactly how it's playing out, but that's how the media is playing it out. So you get China shutting down and they manufacture goods for the world. You get Russia causing massive supply chain disruptions in food and energy. You see inflation hitting both of those due to China can't make enough semiconductors, people double book semiconductors. China can't make enough toys, people double book toys. Then you get commodity price inflation. Um, The one type of inflation that we haven't really seen start to become the conversation I think is real estate on some levels. Now, again, I'm not going into a really dark way of presenting this to you. Um, I will just say that we still have some assets out there who haven't come down, who should come down. We'll talk about that. Yes, it was all red. NASDAQ, SP, Dow, all in the red. Um, Bitcoin had one of its worst quarters in more than a decade, losing 58% of its value. That's a pretty tough quarter. SCOTUS, the Supreme Court of the United States, is going on summer break after a hugely consequential term. There was not only the abortion rights case, but there was an environmental protection agency case. That went conservative majority again, voting six to three on ideological lines, saying that regulations created by agencies like the EPA cannot be transformational to the economy since they lack congressional authorization. Gonna get a lot easier to do business in the world of the United States if you can pollute as you want. Um, 25% of Americans have confidence in the United States Supreme Court right now. That's 25%. So the Supreme Court is becoming politicized more so than ever and not well-liked. 56% of Americans disapprove of the court's decision on abortion rights. 79% of New Yorkers supported a state gun law that the court overturned last week. Very interesting. It's almost as if the Supreme Court broke everything in the kitchen and just walked out the door and said, you clean it up. It's going to be an interesting fall because we're moving towards elections. We're moving towards the holiday season, where everything that's going on in Russia and Ukraine, where everything that's going on in China and supply chain, where there's a lot of headlines the political forms of the Supreme Court. The back half this year, October, November, December, is going to be a shoe. Giant crypto exchange FTX is finalizing plans to buy crypto lender BlockFi for $25 million in a fire sale. If true, this would represent a price 99% below BlockFi's peak valuation of $4.8 It would be a staggering loss for all investors who got into uh, BlockFi. Staggering how quick that fell apart. We'll hit Bitcoin in uno momentero. Two LA schools, UCLA and USC, are going to join the Big Ten in a major realignment of college athletics. To me, this seems like a, is this a little bit on the athletes are allowed to get paid now in college? The big 10 used to be associated with just Midwestern universities, but the prospect of money, 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 money via broadcast deals has transformed it into the SEC and the big 10 and the PAC 12, not as important as it used to be. A lot of TV deals are expiring in the next few years and they're up for reanalysis so are colleges there for the right reasons? Are they there to maximize dollars? And in college sports, they're there to maximize dollars. Netflix is down 71% year to date, the worst performer in the S&P 500. Interesting that Stranger Things landed last night and Netflix crashed. It was, it's so popular. The positive reviews are stunning on the last two episodes of the season. And I would almost imagine Netflix is like, yeah, that's right. We're bad. We're cool. We crashed, we crashed, we're cool. Meta, Facebook's down 52% year to date. Amazon down 38%, Apple down 25%. So it's not just Facebook. Coinbase is down 81%, which is considered the premium number one way to play publicly traded companies tied towards blockchains and cryptocurrencies. Again, not my number one way, but the number one way according to Wall Street so, everything's getting shellacked. Things look and feel the same today from the headlines as the quarter and the first half of the year ended yesterday. Today, we start into new. You got central bank rate hikes. You got earnings growth concerns. You got inflation. Same old stories heading in the back half of the year. The labeled Micron issuing fiscal fourth quarter revenue and earnings per share guidance well below expectations, saying there's a weakened demand for smartphones and PCs. The Eurozone inflation rate hitting a record. 8.6% year over year general motors cutting their second quarter net income guidance below expectations. The bad news is starting to roll in. And yet GM reaffirmed full year guidance. It's like, Dang it. Let the bad news roll in. Every Wednesday I talk to Patrick O'Hare on this, these airwaves. And he's like, I want to see earnings come down, 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 down. So micron pulls down earnings General Motors um, cuts their quarterly income expectations, which is pulling down earnings, right? But then at the same time, GM's saying, ah, but for the full year, we're going to be good. Elsewhere in the news of financial headlines, Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell has warned that there won't be a bipartisan semiconductor deal for the United States. It's tied towards making the United States more competitive in building our own semiconductors. So McConnell's playing politics with the Democrats. Democrats are pursuing a partisan reconciliation bill and Mitch McConnell' saying nope. So politics 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 right? It does run into our industry. Taiwan Semiconductor is seeing major clients reduce their orders. That's out of an LA Times uh, call this morning. So the this is good news. I know it sounds like bad news. Everything I'm saying is bad news, but we need the bad news out there. We need companies to realize it. We, but we do need the earnings expectations. We do need the real job cuts, too, for us to say this looks traditionally like an economic cycle. This is too soft landing at this point in time. Those are woeful indications of how the economy is going right now. Um, a lot of this has already been priced into the market, so we still need those earnings cuts and the job cuts to like kind of validate the pullback in the markets. Today is a new day start of the third quarter, start of the second half of the year. That's interesting to note. Every year is different. Past results don't guarantee future results. You hear that often in my industry. But price action in semiconductor space and related smartphone and PC makers, it's going to be a guiding catalyst on the softer side of what's happening. We're seeing a big, subtle shift in sentiment in the second half of the year, which follows the worst first half. Since 1970, if you just lived through this bear market and you go, wow, that feels like the worst six months I've ever been through, it probably has been. Are you okay? Do you still like your portfolio? Would you still have bought it the way you did? Would you buy more of it today? Important questions to have with your financial planner in your head or the real financial planner that you have in life like CFP, Chad Burton. The Treasury market is starting to discount the likelihood that the Fed won't have to take the target range for the Fed rates as high as it now thinks. Ironically, the aggressive rate hikes expected in the near future are anticipated to force a more meaningful slowdown that will negate the need for a move to restrictive policy. A lot of people don't think the Fed's going to be able to raise interest rates much more than 75 basis points in July. And then they're going to have to sit back and kind of watch the calamity of What happens in the lending market? What happens in the mortgage market? What's happening in the automotive loan market? What's happening in, and they're going to have to watch because that's a lot of moves really, really fast. Where had we done? We've done what? Four rate hikes so far where we had done two last year and two this year. A little bit smoother, right? And we're going to do another three rate hikes, 25 basis points. So 75 basis point hike in July is the expectation. A lot of people wish this process would have started last year. Anyhow, it didn't, so we live with that. You can find me online at robblackshow.com. I'm Rob Black.